Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Cast Dice, the podcast that explores the great big wild world of tabletop gaming that exists today. It has been said once or twice, mainly on this podcast, that we are in the middle of a gaming renaissance. There are just too many good games out there that we can spend our hobby time and our hobby dollars on. And it can lead to a serious case of what the kids call fear of missing out. Now, I guess that's the purpose of this show. Uh, I, my guests and I get together and we talk about the games that we're playing and that we're enjoying. Uh, we talk to events that we've been visiting, uh, big industry happenings, uh, you know, the releases of new games, and sometimes we are lucky enough to talk to the authors of those games. Now, today we are going to revisit a past guest of Cast Dice, and we are going to talk to a man whose hobby skills are truly and wonderfully epic. Of course, I'm talking about the guy who took a standard panther kit, uh, sorry, not panther, king tiger, goodness, um, and basically rebuilt it from the ground up to make it the most ridiculously historically accurate and converted model I've ever seen on a bolt action tabletop. In addition, he literally, because he bought two Fall of Berlin boxes, he then converted one set of the models so they didn't look anything like the other set. And so he had every single model in his army was completely separate and individual. And if that's not, you know, hobby skills enough, he then built an entire bombed out city board to go with his army to play on. Now, you might think, and we're talking about, you know, bombed out high rises, subway entrances, the works teddy bear fur i mean a lot of uh, unbelievable effort but that isn't even the beginning of the hobby madness that we're going to be digging into on today's show because today we're revisiting the grim dark future we are going way back in time to talk about truly grognard territory of history and fluff today we're going to talk about the Thunder Warriors. And there's only one man who can come on to talk about that, and that's Nick. Nick Beatty, welcome back to Cast Dice. How you doing, brother? Yeah, good, man. Good. I don't know if I'll be able to fit my head through any doorways now after that uh, intro. <laughs> man, you are a ridiculous hobby champion of the highest order. Um, I, am a, I, I want to know, how much green stuff do you go through? Oh man, a hideous amount. Uh, <laughs> I've I've actually ran into times when I've run out and had to try to source some locally from friends mm -hmm. due to uh, the the sheer amount of press molding and sculpting that gets chewed up with it. Yeah, man. I mean, I go through a lot of green stuff, but you because you're press molding, because you're sculpting, because you're gap filling on conversions. I I mean, I see your work in progress models. And my eyes hurt. I mean, they are, a, I mean, just the level of skill and the level of time that you put into your models, not to make you feel awkward, is truly outstanding <laughs> and amazing. Um, I'm going to have to share a couple of these photos through the Cast Ice Facebook page so you guys can see what I'm talking about. The, the level of work is astonishing. So, Thunder Warriors, before we get into your army and how you're making it because we're going to do that a little bit later on in depth let's talk a little bit about what drew you to thunder warriors in the first place before we dig into what they are that's actually a really good question i think um the thunder warriors probably 
like a lot of my stuff, I think I start building a model and I go, oh, this model's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, does it match up with anything in the fluff or the background? And then you find something that's in the fluff and background that may link up. And then you start to go down the rules thing, which we'll go down later, no doubt. Mm-hmm. But I think it was just, um, I think it was either fiddling or very much, I'll say, happily that, you know, you see stuff on Facebook. Facebook's a fantastic medium for seeing other people's conversions. You know, you can get inspired by someone else's work and you mm-hmm. oh, you know, I'm going to try my hand at that. And I think that's like the idea first popped in my head probably coming up on 18 months, two years ago, mm-hmm. but I didn't revisit it properly till this year. So I couldn't tell you exactly what, but I think it's probably seeing something online, having a play and then going from there. Yeah, man. And this is, I mean, I don't even know where to start. So true scale. Yes. And I'm a on, massive lover of true scale. <laughs> yes. And then on top of true scale, and we're going to get into why in a second, but thunder warriors are even bigger than true scale Marines. So when you're building the, the, the base dollies for your Thunder Warrior models, what are you using as your base bodies? Um, basing them off uh, Angron models. So either you know sourcing them um, or uh, press molding the important parts from them and uh, working up from them. So Mainly l- just the chest and greaves. Let me get this right. You are using Forge World's Primark model as your basic trooper. Yes. Yes, I am. <laughs> I, I knew that. I was just drawing an <laughs> underline under that for the folks at home. His, uh, his basic Marines are massive. You want to take a Primus Marine? Yeah, that's nice. Sit aside, son. Yep. We're going to talk Thunder Warriors today. On your bike. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Jog on. All right. Well, let's talk about what Thunder Warriors are, and so then we can dig into um, why your individual troopers are so big. Um, now, Thunder Warriors, Unification Wars. Now, when we think Warhammer 40,000, we think grim, dark future. We think the Emperor being on the Golden Throne for 10,000 years. Uh, and then, of course, if we rewind prior to that, to the Emperor being a, a walking, talking demigod um, of the Emperor yeah, dude of Mankind. rocking around, yeah. Yeah, in the golden armor, no one knowing what he looks like because he looks different to everyone. Um, of course, we're talking 30K. Now, yes. Nick, you are a big lover of 30K, but Thunder Warriors sort of predate that. You want to give us a little, uh, talk to us a little bit about the conquest of Earth and the Unification Wars, and I can help you out if you get stuck. Sounds good to me. Um, so obviously, the Emperor, for some reason, uh, opted to chill out on Terra all throughout you know, the Golden Age of Humanity and everything. Mm-hmm. So when it obviously came back to piecing it all together, he was on Terra. Makes sense. Sounds mm-hmm. cool. Um, so yeah, so like apparently like, and the, I think it's like, remember back in the day when 30K wasn't properly explored? Mm-hmm. You know, you had little tidbits and you knew stuff and everyone was very interested in it. Yeah. Um, I think the Unification Wars are becoming that way. You've got tidbits, so you can only sort of fill in the gaps. Yeah. Um, so just from what I've gleaned from trying to scrounge as much information on Thunder Warriors as possible, like earth is just knackered. It's just like, there's maybe a couple of oceans that are quite shallow floating around. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's just been ravaged by, ravaged by like what 30 odd thousand years of, um, you know, human occupation, which doesn't work well for planets apparently. Right. Especially when, um, the sort of the golden age of humanity breaks down and then the, you know, the leadership of earth and all the surrounding planets sort of devolves into battling warlords. Correct. And I think even during the, um, the, was it the dark, uh, the, the long night or whatever, which was the mm-hmm. downfall after. Um, I don't think there was much warp travel going on. So a lot of the worlds were quite isolated as well. Correct. Yeah. So yeah, like 
it just all fell apart. And meanwhile, um, on Earth itself, Earth being the sort of the seat of this giant galactic empire that um, sort of that was that you know became what it is during the golden age of man, so to speak, when man shot out into the stars and explored countless planets and galaxies. Um, all of the big, scary weapons and technology happened to be hanging out on Earth. And so when yep. it all went wrong, Earth itself was where all the the most advanced weaponry um, in both, you know, biological weaponry, technological as in cybernetics, and then even Warcraft. You see all sorts of sorcery and magic and demons, and you just have each sort of... a. a a bunch of warring states under warlords who are, you know, declared sort of techno-barbarians. Uh, Witch and, kings and yeah, all stuff like that, yep. Exactly. Um, and that's been explored a lot more in the, in the Horus Heresy books and in Black Library books in general. But as part of that, um, the, the emperor, though he had been apparently ha- had been on Earth for a while previously to that or had been there all along— he decided to sort of make himself known. Um, yep. And he had the plan to reconquer the galaxy in his name, um, to have his great crusade. But before he could begin that, he needed to retake Earth. Now, yep. again, everyone around him has super soldiers of one kind or another, be yep. them technologically advanced, biologically, or Warcraft advanced, or combinations thereof. And so they had to, uh, the emperor had to fight these forces, conquer them, um, or befriend them, which he does in some cases, make them allies, and then make them part of the imperial cause. Um, and he, he needs a force to do that. Now, he has his, his sort of super... The imperial army? Yeah, he's got a, <laughs> basically humans. Um, but he needs a cutting edge. Now, he does have his... Um, his personal guard. He has his uh, custodes, who are sort of the pinnacle of power of um, gene rot witchery. Exactly right. Uh, but then on top of that, he needs sort of a blunt hammer. And apparently, it's it's written in a few places that custodes, um, though they're you know the best of the best. The problem is in creating them, it's too much. It takes too many resources, too much time. You can't mass produce them. So yeah, he so, needs something with numbers. So Nick, sorry, I'm talking a lot. Go ahead. That's right. I was just saying, like, yeah, from what I've read, the custodians are like, you know, like a, a Marine, you sort of, your staple gun in the new organs, slap him on the butt and send him out in the battle. Apparently, like, the custodians <laughs> yeah. are sort of molded from children. So it's like grown into them. Like their yeah. augmentations are actually part of them. They're not just something slammed on in there. Yeah, exactly. Um, but then he needs to mass produce something. And that's where the Thunder Warriors come into being. Um, the Thunder Warriors are, I mean, what is often called, um, or has been, des- they've been described as proto Astartes, um, sort mm-hmm. of pre Space Marine Space Marines. Now, they're bigger than Space Marines, they're taller, they're stronger, they're tougher. Uh, significantly more so than what we would consider modern Space Marines, even Primus Marines. Uh, yep. They are sort of the pinnacle. Now, there are downsides to this. So they're even extremely resistant to psychic attacks. Uh, uh, depends on the uh, fluff currently. <laughs> ah, and, there's, and there it is, isn't there? Because yep. we are relying on many f- um, Black Library authors 
as source material, authors take uh, artistic license as they're prone to do, as they should do. Yep. Um, and that leads to contradictory, uh, contradictory and uh, you know discrepancies. Yes, which I'm sure some of them, someone's going to hear something on this show, and they're going to argue. Sorry, we're doing our best. Um, <laughs> now, Nick, uh, I can get into. Uh, do you want to talk about the physical aspects of the Thunder Wars beyond what I've said, or shall I dig into the downsides? Um, yes, like certainly, like from what I can glean from fluff books and all that jazz, they are pretty big, tough and nasty. And it seems like they may like, obviously with all this stuff, it's very gray. So as, as you've said, some people will get upset, no doubt, mm-hmm. but it seems like they've got a lot of the, a lot of stuff similar to what the Astartes have, but they don't have the gene seed, which is apparent, like, you know, the, the, the super important thing. Yeah. Um, and that's what allows Astartes to be more stable. And mm-hmm. this would uh, probably link in nicely to the downsides that you're about to talk about. Yeah. Now the downside of these guys, despite them being bigger, stronger, tougher, and space marines. That sounds pretty good. Well, they have two, possibly three, major downsides. Um, one is they um, they have been described in some of the fluff sources as being uh, emotionally blank. Um, they have no mood whatsoever other than rage. Um, they make corn berserkers look uh, nice and calm and collected when they lose their cool. Um, they're also uh, not exactly empathetic as a result, um, and uh, it, it has been described as them being occasionally psychotic. And part of the problem is their genetics, um, their internal chemistry is also unstable. And one of the side effects of that is um, they can have psychotic breaks because um, you know their their brain something in their brain twigs, and then it just never fixes itself. And so. While that's wonderful when you're trying to throw legions of these guys into enemies to decimate them and conquer the Earth, when you start sending these guys out into the stars as part of a grand crusade where they have to work along, oh, I don't know, regular army units, of which there are more than, you know, Astartes out there, way more, um, and diplomats, and, you know, try to... um, collect all of these human worlds that have been left out in the dark uh if you're trying to re uh what is the what's the 30k terminology um for pacifying a world Um, uh oh oh, oh, no compliance compliance Compliance, yeah making a world (laughs) compliant i mean you could make a world compliant with these guys but um no one would be alive afterward so that's that's the big first problem Biggest... It's um, quite interesting. Like, yeah, I, I'll just quickly jump in. Um, the Veldor book, so spoiler alert, everyone will probably spoil some books for you, so preparation for that. Thank you. Yep. Um, the books that will be spoiled would probably be Veldor, Birth of the Imperium, uh, what is it, The Outcast Dead, and Dreams of Unity. So I'll just pop yes. them there. That's your spoiler alert. Um, but like to touch on that, the, and we'll probably go into it later when we look mm-hmm. into the fluff and stuff, um, or the, the stuff I've used as my bouncing off point. Mm-hmm. The Veldor books do a very good job of developing that. Um, and actually does a really good job of, like, I don't agree with some of it, but he does an excellent job of humanizing them. They're actually more more relatable than Astartes are, which is quite interesting. Really? Oh, oh yeah. Cool. The, the Veldor book is phenomenal. Like, the amount of, like, the the leader, um, which we'll get into later as well, his name's Ushatan, just the mm-hmm. amount of shade he throws at Veldor is phenomenal. Like, <laughs> nice. He does need a little shade thrown his way, that golden boy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He does. Nice. 
Well, I guess, okay, so that, that again, here we go with some contra, uh, contradictory fluff and inconsistencies, but um, this, the second and probably more problematic uh, problem that um, Thunder Warriors have is that their, as I mentioned before, their internal chemistry isn't, uh, ooh, how should I say, stable. And so um, there, there is... Is it hyperbole? Is it uh, actual, just wonderful, weird, dark, 40K fluff? But these guys, um, sometimes, uh, you know, it's described that their sort of skeleton, like, twists in their skin, and they, like, break their own back just yeah, standing there. Organs eat themselves, their yeah. black blood turns to tar, just all these delightful things. Like They, they turn into walking geysers of blood, you know, all, the, all that yep. wonderful stuff. They are super unstable. Um, which is makes sense if you think about them being so superior that they are, you know, perfect in so many ways physically. They're almost burning the candle too brightly. And yeah, what the brightest uh, flame burns the shortest. That's it, and that's exactly what these guys are. And now, of course, it gets into the great debate: Did the emperor actually? Now, if you think the emperor is a really nice guy and he's the benevolent lord of the of the the universe um well then you would Turn say off now. yeah exactly this is probably not the show but um if you wanted to get into that you would think about the emperor maybe hasn't uh perfected mass production of superhumans yet and he hadn't quite figured out how to make you know the primarchs and the astartes um, and so that's why these guys were having errors and glitching, so to speak, and not working. The other darker side of this might be, however, that he knew that they were going to eventually fail and did that intentionally, um, ramped up their efficiency in the short run, knowing that that would, you know, much like the replicants in Blade Runner, um, yep. They have a fixed lifespan. They have their purpose, and then when they're done, it's time for something else. Um, Nick, something what's new. your thought on that one? Because I know that that's a popular conspiracy theory. Um, I'm definitely going to say he's went the Apple approach with the uh, planned obsolescence. Uh, <laughs> um, but again, the, as I said, the Veldor book to me is probably the go-to novel in an official sense of getting background and stuff. Mm -hmm. It does sound like it was like, we could fix them. But we've got something else in the works, so just keep training them out as is. Um, mm -hmm. We've got something else. Don't worry about it. You know what I mean? Like, don't patch it. We've got a new one coming out. Yeah. And these guys were perfect for... Uh, Conquering Terra. Yeah, exactly. For the Unification Wars, where they battled all sorts of walking, talking, literal nightmares on the yep. surface of Earth um, to clear it out before moving on to the stars. Uh, now, while we're talking this, uh, it should be... <laughs> I guess we'll get into their history a little bit here. Um, now, before I jumped to, uh, you know, besides generally talking about the Unification Wars and their important part in the retaking of Terra, um, before I get to the end, is there anything in particular you want to talk about? Because I think the ending is definitely worth a chat. The ending of the Unification Wars? And the ending of the Thunder Warriors, by extension. Oh, yes. Well, yeah, exactly. So the, the Battle of Mount Ararat, or whatever it's called. Yes. Um, yeah, so... Again, I'm going to just, I'm going to keep up bringing Veldor. So just everyone get ready, lock yep. in. Um, but that, the Veldor novel is actually based exactly around that bracket of time and what oh, did happen to the Thunder Warriors, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so I suppose at the end of the Unification Wars, as most people that are into 30K and stuff will know that, you know, the Thunder Warriors had a heroic last stand um, 
on the Battle of Mount Ararat to, you know, bring the world into unity and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. But um, as a lot of other joints have alluded to, I think the, the recent Custodes Codex for 40K has sort of said, oh, the Thunder Warriors learned that they were, you know, going to be retired forcibly. So they rebelled and that was the Custodes putting down a rebellion. Mm-hmm. Um, but most of the other things pretty much like they were just sent into a battle. They won the battle and the Custodes just came in and mopped up any survivors and saying, oh, that's a, it's a shame that they all died in one heroic sort of last charge. Yeah, I do um, love the official propaganda that the last wounded Thunder Warrior planted the Emperor's yeah. standard in the Eric corpse. Tyrannus. Yeah, in the corpse of the last rebel. Um, and as he did, he then died. Of course, yep. that Truly is really beautiful. It's a, t- a manly tear to the eye, you know, yes. go Imperium. <laughs> Woohoo! Yeah. But uh, yeah, so it's pretty much that did not happen. They just sort of got stabbed in the back and the Imperium does what the Imperium does and just sweeps that under the rug. But that isn't the necessary end of the Thunder Warriors. Um, Because a group of them break out of the Custodes Cordon and as is said in a short story, they run and they keep running uh, and they hide. And so I think this speaks volumes to more uh, their ability to problem solve and to think their way through. Um, by hook and by crook, they survive despite, you know, massive medical problems, cancers eating them alive, um, you know, t- spontaneous All liquefaction. Yeah, exactly. Yep. <laughs> right. Um, meanwhile, they're being hunted by, you know, the custodes, eventually the Inquisition. Uh, it depends on uh, if you think they've survived 30K or not. Uh, but <laughs> it's 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 fascinating to think about these guys uh, on the run. Uh, and in um, in the, oh, God, why am I blanking all of a sudden? Um, the Dead. What do you want? Um, Outcast Dead. Outcast Dead. Wonderful book. Um, there's a... I wouldn't, I wouldn't, wouldn't say that, but... Uh, no, no, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a fun... It's, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> Sorry. It's I enjoy it as a fun romp and the fact that when I read it the first time, my jaw hit the ground and I went Thunder Warriors and amazing yeah. <laughs> uh, because uh, there are two in that story, if I'm memory. Yeah, uh, so Eric Tyrannis, but he's got a, what's his name? Babu Dakal. Yep. And Gotha. Was it Gotha? Yes. Yes. Yeah. And so we have two Thunder Warriors who are who have taken over sort of an under underworld syndicate um, and they are basically crime warlords uh, on Terra. And uh, they make an appearance. And um, it's mentioned in a few places that they survived by sort of trying to use different elixirs and different medicines to uh, and different treatments to try and fight off their uh, degradation, um, much like a Roy Batty in uh, Blade Runner. And they've been at least somewhat successful in some cases. Uh, and Not so, looking too good, but still functional. Yeah, exactly. Still going. And uh, it is pretty spectacular. Uh, they they cut a very impressive uh, character. Uh, mm, definitely. Yeah. So. Like yeah. Sorry. Go ahead, Nick. I was just gonna say. I think. I think they're they're quite good. And like they're quite ferocious, but they're not like your generic uh, world leaders of you know just grunting and screaming. Like there's actually something going on in their melons. Exactly. Yeah, and that kind of brings the end of their official fluff in history, um, other than like those moments that when Rick Priestley was on in the last uh, episode of Cast Ice, by the way, if you haven't listened to it, it's a great list, uh, great talk, because I have him on specifically to talk about the origins of Warhammer 40,000 full stop, like the beginning of Warhammer 40,000 
way back when, the decisions he made for Rogue Trader. And with, with these moments, he described them as doorway moments where he'd paint the door into existence uh, or install the door but not open it. And uh, so it's always good. He, he left these doorways in that they could either in, you know install fluff into later or that would allow people who played the game uh, opportunities to create their own fluff and to create their own armies and to create their own narrative, which is, I guess, what you've done here. Yeah, definitely. I think the best, like, 40K in recent times has sort of moved into a moving story, but I love when 40K and 30K currently are a setting. Like, yes. you, you know you know the end point and the start point. Mm-hmm. You know the major bits that are in between, but it gives you all these little nooks and crannies to sort of jam your own character into that doesn't necessarily stand on the toes of anyone else's character or on, you know, known fluff. There's room for you to maneuver, if yeah. that makes sense. It does. Yeah, absolutely. And I reckon that's the best bit about settings such as, you know, 30K, 40K and stuff like that. Yeah. Well, let's let's talk a little bit about what makes a Thunder Warrior look like a Thunder Warrior. Uh, um, yes. <laughs> now I'm gonna. I did promise Nick I would go into this, and I have been talking lots, but we're gonna shift the focus in a couple minutes here, kids, and we're gonna get to a lot more Nick talking and a lot more me listening and going, "Wow!" But Lucky um, <laughs> let's let's go back to an an issue of White Dwarf from I believe late 1989, uh, in which Rick Priestley, and I'm pulling this uh, page directly out. Uh, it also appears in the Warhammer 40,000 compilation, the yellow book from Rogue Trader. Um, now, in that, uh, Rick Priestley writes an article where it has no rules, but it literally lays out the design and the history of each and every Space Marine armor there is. And in that formative Space Marine armor chapter... Um, a section, or should I say Power Armor Mark One, with a nice sketch by John Blanche, we have these words. The first type of armor is now referred to as Mark One. In fact, this is the sort of armor worn by techno-barbarian warriors that dominated the Earth. When the Emperor began his conquest of the planet, his retinue was equipped and armed in the same way as troops of other warlords. The first Space Marines a.k.a. Thunder Warriors, formed part of that retinue and were equipped with the same sort of armor of other warriors of that time. The Thunderbolt, which is why we have Thunder, in case you're wondering, and Lightning Emblem on the breastplate of this suit was the personal badge of the Emperor in those days, predating the Imperial Eagle, which only became the symbol of the Imperium much later. This emblem gives the suit its other common name, Thunder Armor. This is not necessary. Sorry, this is not really a single enclosing suit and offers no atmospheric protection and life support facilities. All these being unnecessary while fighting on the restrict uh, when fighting was restricted to Earth itself. The helmet and top plume were fairly typical, but these early suits were manufactured on an entirely local basis, and their exact designs were often a matter of personal taste. The main part of the armor was a massive powered torso which enclosed the chest and arms, and beneath that, um, coiled energy cables powered into the arms, effectively multiplying the wearer's fighting ability three or four times over. During this period, most uh, fighting consisted of close combat, and warriors preferred to grapple with one another rather than long u- use long-range weapons. The power in the warrior's chest and arms was therefore power mort. Uh, power month. Ah, 
paramount <laughs> importance. Long day. Um, now, I could go on and go on, but that's the ballpark. Now, of course, that is the first glimpse that we see by Rick. Now, of course, that has been taken and run with by Black Library in particular. Um, Nick, can you give us a more up-to-date view of what Thunder Warrior armor would look like? I certainly can. Um, so again, this will be coming from that Veldor novel we speak of. Um, really worth the read as well. It's quite. It's more of a novella. It's like a couple hundred pages. But it's, I'm uh, waiting it's really for good. it to arrive in the mail. You'll enjoy it. The audiobook of it is also quite well done. Um, so yeah, in in uh, in Veldor, which is I'm probably going to use, and I, I imagine a lot of people would probably use this as the go-to Thunder Warrior resource because it's actually probably more about the Thunder Warriors and then then there is about Veldor in the novel, which is fantastic for someone like me. Not so much if you want to read about Veldor. <laughs> um, yeah. But in that, it's actually it's quite interesting because and it makes perfect sense. Like if we think about the old school Mark One Thunder armor, it sounds cool. The the visual imagery is amazing. But if you've got this big 200 kilo chest armor with all these powers and stuff in it, you you, you can't be skipping leg day. Like if you, you don't have anything assisting your legs, you <laughs> exactly. know, exactly. Like, these guys might have tiny little chests, but their legs, oof, you know what I mean? <laughs> um, yes. So in the more recent stuff, uh, so Veldor being more recent stuff, mm-hmm. uh, it sort of goes into what they're wearing. And it's it's mainly from the perspective of uh, Veldor. And you get this glimpse, you actually get a few good glimpses of their armor. So I imagine at the start of the Unification Wars, their armor probably would have been quite rudimentary. And he mentions that yeah. at the start of the Unification Wars, they were all in like boiled leathers and, you know, uh, a super grim, dark old school, you know, as you can get, you know, steel and iron plates. Nice. Um, but they found like when they were fighting, you know, across the breadth of earth, you know, your leather would crack in the freezing cold Siberian wastes and, mm-hmm. you know, it'd be terrible in sandy areas. So they would constantly upgrade them. And the Thunder Warriors actually had similar equipment to what the Custodes had during that entire time, according to the Veldor novel. Oh, interesting. Uh, yeah. So it's, it was quite interesting to read. Um, and you actually get like a nice description of sort of, I suppose you could call it late Thunder Warrior armor. Mm-hmm. So like this is post Mount Ararat, but the armor that the surviving Thunder Warriors still have. Mm-hmm. And it's it's power armor. It's uh, proper power armor. And um, again, I'm just going to spoil it again for you. Are you all right with spoilers, Brad? Yes, I don't please. Hit me. Hit me. Yep. All right. So at, toward the, the end of the novel, um, the first batch of Astartes come out and start punching on with like these dregs of Thunder Warriors and... Um, you know, this, this small army that's gathered and like people liken the Thunder Warriors armor to the Mark II Marine armor. Um, and, but they sort of like the Thunder Warrior armor is quite, I think flamboyant was the word, you know, the awesome like iconography, lightning bolts, plumes and everything. Whereas you got the Mark II armor with like, you know, sheared down bolts and sunken heads and everything. So it's more militaristic. So you get this visage of late war Thunder Warriors at the very least actually being similarly equipped to Marines and custodies as opposed to the, the old shorts and a power armor (laughs) t-shirt. Nice. Nice. And that makes sense. I mean, given that, um, over time, as you say, they would have, as you know, battles happened and as the requirements for the crusade, even though I guess technically it wasn't the crusade at that time, um, Good old unification. Yeah, exactly. Well, as as the unification uh, was happening, their armor and gear would you know evolve depending on their needs. And also, like um, you know, obviously as they're going through, you know, taking back uh, Terra, you know, they're cracking open vaults of Dark Age stuff, or they're yeah. grabbing. I think it was like the Terrawatt clan or something up in like the Urals. That exactly. Had all the awesome gear. So obviously, you'd get that. You'd bring that technology back, mass produce it, give it to your troops, like yeah. as you went on. 
Yeah, sort of the best of what was being used, uh, and in some cases the worst of what was being used by some of those uh, warlords on Earth were, was then taken by the Emperor and uh, you know, either stored for later use or used and mass-produced later during the Great Crusade. You, you, you need to give the Emperor props. He was a pragmatist of the highest order. Yes, a monster, but a pragmatist. Yes. Yeah, but he wears he no gold, issues. so he must be a nice guy, right? Well, is it gold or is it that oromite stuff that the custody armor is made out of? Oh, good oh. Point. Mm, I like where you're going with that. Well, I like where yeah. you're going with that. All right. So we we understand what they're wearing. They're wearing sort of proto-Astartes, highly ornamental uh, power armor. Yep. What are they armed with? Because uh, – oh, oh, actually, don't... before we get to the armament um, – yep. When you often see these guys, and if you look at the first um, sketch by John Blanchett, which then became the first, very first Mark I Space Marine model that I embarrassingly once had one of and Nothing sold, um, which I'm still regretting to this day. If anyone happens to have a Mark I Rogue Trader era Space Marine, please talk to me. I would love to buy it from you. Um, in that, he has a helmet that resembles what most people these days use to convert them, a uh, Acadian helmet of all things, wearing oh, yes. sunglasses. Shades, dude. Yep, <laughs> gotta wear the shades. Um, with like a top knot plume. Uh, yep. Now we did talk about the plumes. Um, Nick, I know that in the in the Valdor novel you describe them looking a bit more Mark II, which have you know enclosed helmets with the top spike and looking very trench warfare-y. Um, what kind of, what kind of look were you going for, for sort of helmets and gear? For my guys, or in for general? So I mean, as someone who's done a lot of research about Thunder Warriors, both from your particular army, that the choices you've made, and maybe some of the things that you've seen other people doing, because I know you've done a lot of research. Yeah, so the, I think the, the gold standard of what people do for Thunder Warriors nowadays, and it's an awesome starting point, is generally people will get um, cataphracty shoulders and probably cataphracty arms, so you, you got those nice flat shoulder pads, mm -hmm. um, and they'll then use generally a uh, Sigmarine, uh, what are they called, the Stormcast Eternal yes, Body. Yes, good point. And then bang on a, a Mark II or Mark III backpack because it looks old and funky, and mm -hmm. then do the Cadian. Cadian shade dude with the old orc top knot, and I think they're like, and there's been there's obviously a, a or sort of looking for mental blank, a whole variety of different takes on that, which I think yeah. is an awesome sort of starting point, especially Absolutely. for mid unification Thunder Warriors, because then you've got like the lower armor. I think is good of representing maybe it's power armor, maybe it's not. You know, like yeah. leaving that little gray area. Mm -hmm. um, but you've got the backpack and the shoulder pads, which are start starting to move towards that more uniform and marine feel to it. Yeah. Um, I, for one, though, call me a monster. The shade heads just kill me inside. Like You monster. Uh, tell me about it. Like, it's probably the most iconic bit. And I, it's, Yes. Why would you leave your mouth and chin out? Like, <laughs> I don't know, Captain America. Tell me. Yes, why would exactly. you? Like, yeah, oh, exactly. I'd like my jaw blown off. Thank you very much. Like, <laughs> but, so um, what yeah, have you done then? Well, I've, so I've went the uh, – and I've tried to keep a lot of um, cues from that on these models, but also – so the fluff for my guys, because I'll, I'll – briefly touch on it but yeah this they're set during the heresy so obviously they're not going to be running the same armor they were rocking back 200 years ago oh, which would be madness so but i've wanted to keep a lot of those cues and 
you know, bits and pieces mm-hmm. that people have touched upon or great ideas. So I've really just based them off and due to size limitations as well, you're sort of limited to with what hands and arms you can use. So I've based them off the, the Angra model just because his armor is that really sort of cool ornate armor. It's got lightning bolts on it. It yeah. looks very sort of barbaric and sort of threatening, um, but it's also clearly power armor as well. Yep. Um, and then I've just banged some custodies arms on there because I love just like the leather glove thing's cool, you know, mm-hmm. and they've got a lot of excellent poses. That's another thing, obviously, you need to factor in, you know, yeah. um, the availability of parts. And then um, press molded Ferris Manus's shoulder plates because they're big, nasty shoulder plates with oh, a bunch of yeah. really cool detail on it. Yeah. Um, and that's pretty much the basic build. The helmet, though, did give me conniptions trying to figure out a decent helmet. Mm-hmm. Um, I originally tried another one that there's another, I've just actually just chucked into Google, John Blanche, Thunder Warrior. Another image a lot of people like to use for the early Thunder Warriors, and you've probably seen it, it's um, it's a, a dude in power armor. It's red and yellow, as John Blanche stuff is. <laughs> yes. And he's got like a bolt gun and like a rod. And apparently this is the model that, uh, who's the Alpha Legion bro with the, like the mask? Is it Ortolan score or something? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think so, so. So, but it's it's like a it's like a tiger, uh, not a tiger, like a lion face almost mask, isn't it? Yeah, correct. It's like a, yeah. a, a you know, so it's got it's got a nose and teeth and mm-hmm. angry little eyes. And I'm looking at it currently, and there is a lot of lion iconography on the dude's chest. So apparently, a lot of people use that, and they use the um the score head to make their thunder warriors, which again oh. looks fantastic. Like I'm looking at a conversion here that's got the score head, looks awesome. But that just did I don't know the space marine head just did not work properly with no. that, and I played around with it for ages and I just couldn't quite get it there. And then as you do, you see a, a head that works and you grab it and try it out and it works fine. And it's the, um, I think they're Cromlex steam Lord heads or something. Yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about. But yeah. So there are some great 40 K third party heads and Cromlex makes some great stuff. Don't they? Yeah. They do fantastic. So I think Cromlex do a really good, uh, like Craig version of orcs, which is awesome. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, but yeah, I saw those heads. I'm just seeing if I can find them to make sure I'm not lying to everyone, but I can't easily. So I'll just continue lying. Um, or it might have been, yeah, it was Cromwell like you, I'm pretty sure. Um, mm-hmm. But anyway, like I just saw them on a, a bloke's, I think, Iron Hands conversion. I'm like, oh, there it is. That's that's yeah. that's the head that will do. And, and what's nice about those is uh, you mentioned you didn't like the Cadians as much. And one of the things I've noticed is putting Cadian heads on the... Um, Age of Sigmar, uh, Sigmarine models, the heads are almost just a shade too small. It looks yeah, they, like some they have pinhead model uh, syndrome or they're wearing like super Iron Man armor that's like really thick. Um, yeah. I think the what makes yours work really well is they're more scaled to the model, if that makes sense. Oh, def- like, um, and that's the dream. Like, you always want, like, let's be honest, 40K and 30K and most of G-Dub's ranges are well out of scale. 28 mil <laughs> yes. models for some reason is wrong. Your head's as big as your chest. You know, like, look at a Terminator. His legs would have to be, like, three mil thick to be able to fit in his armor if it's yeah. got that much protection. Right. So, yeah. I, I think the best bit you can do is try to get the right feel for it, you know what I mean, mm-hmm. and then go from there. But, yeah, they just Agreed. seem to fit right, especially on the Primark size body. So, it's concerning, I suppose, when you've got a, a head made for a tw- like a normal Space Marine that fits nicely on a dude that's probably, I would say, at least half again, maybe twice as tall mm-hmm. as a standard sort of Mark II Marine. Yeah. I think it is It is quick to uh, – it should be said, though, for those listening who haven't played 40K in a while and or for those listening who play 40K now and maybe aren't really up with your 30K – uh, it is, I think, a, it, it is important to draw an underline here. Um, I know that people are con- thinking of maybe the new Robot Gilliman model and the new um, 
oh, uh, Mortarian model who are, and you know, Magnus, who are just huge Massive. models. And they, it suffers from like the, the Games Workshop gigantism of scale models in modern Bigger mirrors. Bigger means better. Yeah, yes. exactly. But if we think about 30K, um, I'm actually holding a 30K Mortarian in my hand. And as you say, he's maybe, uh, what? Uh, a space marine and a half tall, maybe yep. two space marines tall. Oh, yep, quite possibly two, I'd reckon, because yep. uh, Angron is probably because Angron was the first Primarch to get released. Mm -hmm. um, he's actually quite a lot smaller and finer than his brothers. Correct. Which so, is funny because it's Angron. Yeah, he should have been bigger and angrier. Who would have yeah. thought? Yeah, who would have thought? The, corner, the one who turns into a bloodthirster. Um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it, it it is important to remember that we are talking about a slightly smaller scale, but you are creating an army of Angron models, you insane man. Um, so yeah, cool, nice. Well, let's talk about armament, shall we? Um, yep, how can. are you arming these guys? Because if, you know, we're thinking proto-Astartes, um, I think Bolter, and that's, primitive Bolters are what they're holding in the original John Blanche art, both the picture you referenced and the picture I referenced. Yep. But let's talk about what does Black Library say these guys are carrying? Because that is definitely one of my big questions for tonight. Well, I, the Black Library, like even um, there's a good mention of their close combat weapons in, again, the Veltor novel. Mm -hmm. um, but it pretty much it's just a throwaway line um, about just a projectile weapon because it's uh, in that first battle with the, the um, Astartes versus the Thunder Warriors. And also I'll just quickly throw in there as well. They're no longer Thunder Warriors. They're the Legio Contagious. I probably what? absolutely pulped that word but yeah contagious c-a-t-a-e-i-g-s i think oh wow that things change when you're not paying attention yeah um, and uh i've got some more if we'll talk about their yeah, uh, organizational please. structure and there'll be more mind blowings for you Ooh. um and some of them are probably a little bit on the nose but hey we roll with it um <laughs> right but in the in the valdor novel which is probably our go-to because i suppose their representation in any of the other actual like black library novels is well post uh, unification. It's like the end of the heresy when you think about Outcast Dead and um, uh, Dreams of Unity. So there's right. probably no decent reference. They're not going to have their 200 year old gun as you know 30k as that is. Yeah. Um, but in in uh, Veldor, they just sort of mention them having projectile weapons that are distinctly different from uh, bolters because they when they first see the Astartes come down, there's a few bits from um, uh, just normal human soldiers that have fought next to Thunder Warriors in the past. Um, when they're fighting the custodians, they think they've got these rapid fire grenade launchers, oh. which are which are which is the early bolt gun. So it seems right. like the bolt gun hasn't been well, you know, given out to a lot of the troops that might have been. And obviously, that like a lot of the the Veldor novel really does I'm trying to say it nicely. Uh, gloss over a lot of details we've had in the past. So obviously, mm -hmm. take all of it with a grain of salt. But yeah, so it seems like the bolters are brand new or very rare. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, the, as to range weapons, it's just generic projectile weapons for the Thunder Warriors, apparently. Hmm. Okay. So how are you putting those on your models? Uh, so obviously, so again, with my you're models, jumping forward, I'm jumping forward 200 odd years, um, and factoring in, I've got to try to make the weapon work for the, uh, rules and all that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. So I've actually given my guys, these really weird looking, really funky ray gun i wanted to get sort of a weird 50s ray gun vibe going for him to really nice. change it up a little and um and that's to represent the uh toxiferum flamers that are available 
on um, a special Terminator unit in uh, 30K. Mm -hmm. So I've, I've obviously went quite weird with it. So I probably wouldn't use them as, you know, an indicative gun for, uh, for the Thunder Warriors, right, if right. that makes sense. That does. Well, yep. I guess that, that leads to the big question that I probably should have asked a million years ago. Um, when you're building these guys, what are you using them as? I mean, it clearly, I mean, you and I both love a weird narrative. We both love to dig into something and, you know, create something that is different from the tabletop and makes people stop and go, whoa, um, me less, less it, so in recent years that I've been playing bolt action, there's only so many different ways you can paint khaki. But back in the day, I did <laughs> Was it turn... the right tone of khaki? Like... Don't even get me started. Um, <laughs> and I'm not being critical of bolt action. I'm just saying it hasn't been great for my creativity at times. Um, but I am the guy who once took the Forge World Abaddon statue, which is a good, what, 12 <laughs> inches tall? Yep. And converted that into a demon prince. Um, oh, oh, God. Because, oh, no. yeah, is because that I had one. What is that almost sacrilege? Like, well, so funny story. Um, one was sent back to Games Workshop badly broken, um, by a store that had it as a display, and it was sent back to the trade sales rep who didn't want it. And I think I somehow ended up with it because I had a nice day on sales, and my boss said, "Here, have this broke of this bag of broken pieces." Perfectly um, acceptable. And it was missing a bunch of pieces too. Okay, um, all right. All right. No, it, it sounds all good then. Like yeah. it's a uh, past muster. <laughs> I put it back together and then I turned it into it. I was looking at it going, what the hell am I going to do with this? It's missing too many pieces to be like actually Abaddon. Like his his claw was essentially gone um, yep. and went, well, and his sword was broken. And it was like, what do I do with this? So I turned him into a giant demon prince. So anyway. Oh, that's cool. I think that, that demon princes in Terminator armor are massively underrepresented. Like, I don't get it. Right? If anyway. they're going to wear their armor yeah. still, there's a good chance they're in Terminator armor. I would say so. Um, well, let's let's go from that then. You do love a narrative, and I love a narrative, and we love creating things that look wacky and weird on the tabletop. But we also like to have things that legally work um, we, so we yep. can play with our toys. Um, I know that I use just the Demon Prince profile for my ridiculous Demon Prince on the tabletop. And yes, everyone in the universe could shoot at him. When you went to create these massive infantry models um, that are based on a, a, you know, a non-existent fluff entry in you know, the 30K universe, what did you use to base them on? So I think whenever I'm doing something like this with these big ultra time sinky models... Um, you sort of want to try to build an army that doesn't necessarily require a billion of them because, yeah. um, you know, the standard army size in uh, 30K is either 2000 Centurion, which is a very infantry-based style of game mode, or yeah. 3000 points Age of Darkness, which is just all in, all the big toys, let's do this sort of thing. Yeah. Um, so it started, so it's going to go a bit rabbit hole here just so I can get around to why, yeah, if that's all right. Um, so the best way to do that, especially with traitor forces, is um, this thing called Army of Dark Compliance, which is, for those that know the old Badab War rules, um, it's pretty much Badab War and the Tyrant's Legion tested it out, so Marines within an army of mere mortals. Right. Um, so I went that path, obviously, of going Marines in this army, so they're the leaders of the army, you know, they really stand out, but you've got plenty of cannon fodder there mm -hmm. and, you know, to build up your points, build up your numbers. So, like, whenever I build a model, it's sort of got, like, these three different parts of a Venn diagram sort of coming in, like, fluff, rules, and, you know, time to build sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, so these guys are based off Terminators, which are, uh, they're called Nullificators. Um, 
And so this, this army list, I suppose, was rattling around in my head for ages. And then I've really started committed to, to well, committed to it after Veldor came out, which right. then kind of ruined some of the truces, but I rolled with it. So they're called, <laughs> they're called nullificators, which are these special terminators that um, are running around in the heresy that like everyone's went, oh, demons are a thing. Uh-oh, we really need to get something to fight back against these yeah. demons. Um, so they've got... They're just in normal cataphractic Terminator armor, so mm-hmm. just normal Terminator armor. Got a four-up invuln save, but they're more resistant to psychic and demon attacks because they're meant mm-hmm. to be fighting against them. And you know, before Veldor, Thunder Warriors were super resistant to psychic attacks. Exactly, so, that makes sense, fluff-wise. And yep, and that was the dream. And they've got these two weird weapons that are available really only to them. There's a Toxiferum Flamer, which is sort of this flamethrower that shoots out flame, but kind of psychic flame, and it like does all sorts of funky stuff to people. And they've also got these things called Aether Shock Mauls, which are um, just a maul, so strength plus two or whatever, mm-hmm. AP4, but they've got Deflagerate, same as the uh, the Volkite weapon. So, like, you might hit someone, but it'll start melting away their body, and then they might die later sort of thing. Right, got it. So they had these weird, funky, cool rules. I'm like, well, that, that's, you know, there is no Toxiferum Flamer. There is no this. I've got perfect, you know, artistic license on this without there being any issues. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, obviously, to make them have the stats to be bigger and tougher than a space marine um there's a special sort of army list called black shields which are like mm-hmm. you know space marines that are unhappy with their legion or you know who knows it's, it's awesome it's a it's a sandbox sort of army and there's one that gives your space marines plus one strength and toughness uh, but negative one initiative so they're bigger but they're slower that's and i thought well right. that that's great for aging thunder warriors isn't it that is that's perfect isn't it so the bulk or the bulk um so there's like one you oh, there's two units of thunder warriors that are space marines um the other one's a recon squad so it's um like these recon thunder warriors um mm-hmm. with like you know they're in their camo and their armor's much lighter than the normal ones so they've only got the greaves and the chest plate the rest is all like chain mail and stuff they definitely um, didn't miss but, leg day pardon they didn't miss leg day no they never miss leg day come on these no. thunder warriors man exactly. those thunder thighs <laughs> um and i've just given them sniper rifles so they've got these big have you ever seen the the snipers from dust tactics the yes. steel guard snipers they've got mm-hmm. these big barrett looking sniper rifles yes. he's got that as his sniper rifle so this big anti-material rifle so they're the two main thunder warrior units and then i've got one unit of um essentially the the, the thunder warriors that are now falling apart they're cantering out their blood you know they're, they're losing their minds all that sort of stuff mm-hmm. and they will be ogrens because you can take these ogrens in um these malicious and cult lists which nice. is the human part mm-hmm. and so they'll be the they've got their armor's not as good they're not as skilled in combat they're not as skilled at shooting to represent mm-hmm. them sort of they're just they're gone this is their last hurrah sort of thing um and they're representing the other batch of thunder warriors that'll be in the army that's cool man i like how i mean it would have been very easy for you to create you know these guys sort of mass produce them and say okay they are this unit type and it would have been one unit type and there would have been no variety in the army list wise um, mm-hmm. which is often what i do with these things i i, I go down a rabbit hole of oh i want an army of this thing and i'm going to make an entire army of that and i'll make it visually different but rules wise not very different but you're adding that variety in um, and creating you know a rich force a, a rich tapestry one might say um, from which, you know, tactically it gives you different options to play. So it gives you, yeah, a more interesting force to play on the tabletop and to, definitely to face yeah. on the tabletop as well. And, and the other thing is like, yeah, exactly. No one wants, you don't want to get your teeth kicked in and you don't want to have a real bad army. So your opponent just, you know, has no fun playing either. <laughs> exactly. So again, it's this sort of balancing act of like, don't get me wrong. The army in its entirety is all airborne and stuff. So it's going to be trash, but, uh, 
you know, at least it might have, you know, a Hail Mary play somewhere in it. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Well, let's talk about how they get around because yep. that is, I mean, I, I, I knew that you weren't just going to say, well, now I'm going to put them in a flying rhino um, and literally take a rhino tank and put wings on the side. No. Hover bits. <laughs> yeah. You, you bastard. Tell us about your transports because these are ridiculous. Okay, so this is this is probably going to go deep down a, a fluff rabbit hole. So I apologize on that as well, because again, to tie that this explanation in, it probably ties into the army as a whole. Um, but I'll be quick on the the transports. Yeah. Um, so the transports for them. So there's going to be two lots of um, the obviously two main squads of the Thunder Warriors. We've got those the nullificators, which we're talking about. Oh, sorry, mm-hmm. three nullificators, which we're talking about. Um, then the ogrins, which are the close combat going to die. You know, not much time left. Yeah. Um, and again this all sort of blends in with trying to make a quasi effective army on the battlefield. Mm-hmm. Um, so the normal human soldiers that are going to be fighting with the thunder warriors will be a semi-professional sort of um, very Russian feeling airborne force. Mm-hmm. And so I've converted their flyers out of little Arvis lighters, the little forge wall bottle. Yeah. And what I've done is I've essentially just flipped it, put its wings on upside down, put the uh, engines at the back and suck a um, Valkyrie's nose piece onto the back is probably the easiest description of it. Nice. Yeah, um, yeah. I'll flick you some pictures. So that's, that's for them just for the little generic dudes needed something that was easy, looked different. Um, and their design cue was taken from the big ship that I made, which is going to be a storm Eagle mm-hmm. um, for the, the Thunder Warriors. So an assault transport, they, you know, it's got all the gamey bits in there for it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I converted that from a Marauder bomber, no, so the, not the bomber, the destroyer, but a Marauder chassis. Yeah. Um, and some Vendetta parts are the two main, you know, parts of the model. So I essentially like flipped the Marauder bomber upside down, cut a hole in it, put the Valkyrie's troop carrier part at the front mm-hmm. as like a, yep. And then I've got the wings and sort of turned them 90 degrees and turned it into a big Delta. It looks concerningly like a, uh, it's like either a Star Destroyer or an A-Wing, which I finished it. I'm like, oh no, it looks like a Star Destroyer or an A-Wing. <laughs> it, it's uh, a slab <laughs> of it looks like a slab of metal coming at you but in a really it's really uh intimidating it almost reminds me of like the prow of the original battlestar galactica 1970s coming at you like that's that's the vibe i got from it and it 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 looks nasty in it like in a really cool vicious way like you don't want this thing coming at you and you've got three of them. Oh, uh, so no, that's the small ones. I've got three of oh, Okay. Three was, of those. Yeah. yeah. Oh dear God. Um, <laughs> yeah. With the, the big one, I was originally going to do two of the big one. Yeah. Um, for one, it was an absolute monster build. Those old, old forge world kits, man, the wings, like the wings of the Marauder yeah, bomber, no. there was probably three or four mil difference in the thickness of them. It's like, how did this happen? <laughs> like, yeah, it was a, it's a structural part. Like, yeah. Oh, wow. So that was um, fun. And I, I built it. I had to even 3D print off some uh, essentially like triangular chocks. So yeah. I get the wings on the same angle on both yep. sides because, mm-hmm. you know, when you're doing something that's a vehicle, you don't have much, you know, hand wavium leeway for stuff to be mm-hmm. uneven. Um, so it was a real monster to build. Um, and I've even put lights in it. So the light, there'll be a light in the troop compartment, a light yeah. in the, there's a ball turret on the bottom yeah. and an LED in the cockpit. So that was a fun little thing to try to do as well. Man, but yeah, it was, you, I, you you're, my- you're, you're a hobby legend. I was, I, I bought a, um, I was given a, one of the original warlord Titans, sorry, uh, Warhound Titans by, Forge World back in the day when I worked for GW. The and old I, square boys? The yeah, Lucius? the old square oh, jaw. Nice. 
And um, I also had um, one of the original resin Thunderhawks. And I tried and I tried. And now I reckon I could get the Thunderhawk to work. But Mm -hmm. it was way beyond me at that point. And I had been hobbying for something like 15 years at that point. And I was, I just looked at it and, you know, I tried to put it like test fit things together and I, I shaved things clean and sanded them and started building things back up, but nothing fit together. So for you to take those old kits and to, you know, as you say, massively convert them and add the bits and pieces, astonishing massive hobby kudos because just putting that those kits together normally sucks putting them together and then converting them man hats off amazing rookie error though thank you but definitely rookie error uh it was a a soul crushing piece that if you know came good eventually but dear god my friend oof oof Uh, oof indeed so originally going to run two of them for the two major attacking thunder warrior squads but um Again, coming back to the arm, like the effectiveness in the battlefield, like the due to it being an airborne list, nothing was going to be on the table turn one. It was going to be very easy to be shot off and automatically lose. It's not fun for anyone. Nope. So I went back and I trawled through the uh, the army books and found something that could work. There's a uh, for those who don't know, there's multiple different types of drop pods in 30k compared to 40k, and yep. there's one called the I'm going to butcher it, but the Caribdis or something like that. Yeah, the Caribdis. The Caribdis, that one. Um, so it's a big nasty one. It's it's essentially got the same stats as one of these flyers, but it's a bit, it's got a, one more hull point and stuff, mm-hmm. but it can come down turn one. Um, and the limitations oh, obviously nice. on reserves is they can't assault on the turn they come in. Mm-hmm. So that's no good for a close combat unit that can't come until turn two. So that means yeah. you wouldn't have your dying thunder warriors. They'll probably die before they get to fight <laughs> in turn three. Yeah. Um, so I needed something to be a bit gamey. So I opted to have this Caribdis in, but obviously you can't really, I was, tossing up and thinking about maybe putting like a big blast building another one of those big ones mm-hmm. and putting like a blast shield on the bottom of it but to you know to make it look more like a drop pod but it was just going to be a bit hokey yeah. um and just not going to look good so i started playing it i actually saw it just popped into my head i saw a picture in my feed someone had painted one of those you know the custodies orions mm-hmm. someone had painted that not gold and I'm like, oh, wow, that's a really cool-looking model when it's not gold. <laughs> like, um, It's <laughs> yeah. got a lot of really excellent little detail on it and everything. Mm-hmm. And um, what I've started doing in recent times, and get everyone to hiss and you know watch out Vampire and stuff, but um, 3D modeling's a thing and 3D printing's a thing, yeah. um, and it's great. I, like, for instance, for the other flyer I did, I found like epic-scale 3D models um, or 3D model files of um, – you know, a Marauder bomber on like mm-hmm. a variety of sites. And I put them into a real basic 3d modeling program and played and played and played until I came out with the final design and sort yeah. of use that as a, a sketch to build the design off. That's um, cool. So I started playing with a, um, an Orion dropship and sort of flipped it upside down, re-put its, you know, engines in all that sort of stuff. Um, and, you know, I was waiting for Forge World to reopen to uh, purchase one, mm-hmm. but um, I finished the, this prototype and a friend said he could print it and so I'm like, well, let's try that out. So there'll be a, a different thing that will look completely different to everything else in the army. And then I then put a layer of fluff over it to explain why, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it will then act as that Caribbean drop pod. I'll, I'll flick you some images of the yeah, um, 3D please. prototype if you want. Yeah, please. But yeah. So there's just, again, like I, I'm i trying not to drag it too much away from Thunder Warriors, but it's sort of this ideally a cohesive force that the fluff, you know, smushes together well on. Yeah, exactly. 
Well, that's so awesome, they have the man. Transports. I mean, that's the point, though. I mean, it's one thing to look back at Thunder Warriors, and I mean, I loved the look of the John Blanche art way back when, when I first saw that uh, the book, uh, and yep. I was sitting, I was sitting on a plane coming back from the UK, uh, reading that on the plane, and it caught my eye, and I was. I was just so enamored with the look. And then, you know, as I said, as I was reading Outcast Dead, I was super excited that there were Thunder Warriors in it. And just yep. to have those guys sort of come back. But then Ooh. to have, now that we have, as you say, with the Valdor book and other books, that we have enough fluff to then pull this project together. I mean, you got you to gotta draw a couple lines to connect the dots occasionally. Oh, definitely. And that's um, the funnest bit. Yeah. But you've been doing that beautifully, and you've been working on this project long enough that as those you know gaps come together, you you've come up with ways to plug them and be that three D printing, be it uh, green stuff molding, be it you know <laughs> buying Forge World models and mass. Uh, yeah, man, that's awesome. Yeah, it's definitely been an interesting project. It's a bit of a slow burn one, um, but it's been fun. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Nick, why don't we then jump ahead and get into the story of your army? How did you, I mean, we've talked ad nauseum about how you made your army, and we've talked about Thunder Warriors, but how did you bring it all together into a cohesive force? Because I think, though this is very specific to a niche hole, which is what you're doing, um, this same sort of process can be applied across the board to any sort of doorway that appears in bolt action 40k malifaux you name it it's there BattleTech, um and the fact that you've gone to this length and then you've written this fluff story on top i think is really inspirational so can you tell us a little bit about your fluff um and maybe you can tie in with some of the valdor fluff or some of the other gw fluff on how it came into being and bring this whole thing together for us yeah, I'm certainly more than happy to wax lyrical about that sort of stuff. Boom. Um, and I think you touched on it, and Rick touched on it with the doors. The doors are, I think, the best bit, as I said, about your 40K and 30K, because you can squeeze your own bit of fluff in there with it not standing on the toes. You can use bits as guides, you know yeah, what I mean? Or absolutely. flavor stuff. Um, but then you can run your own sort of narrative, so to speak. So I suppose with these Thunder Warriors, um, you know, the idea was crunching around and then the Veldor book came out. Now, I suppose, again, I'll touch on the Veldor book for you. But um, Please do. The... The Thunder Legions or the Legio Contagious Legions were um, called Legions, and there was, guess what, 20 of them, and they're numbered 1 through 20. You're kidding. Um, I know, it's crazy. <laughs> and guess what their leaders were called? Primarchs. You're kidding. <laughs> I poo you not. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so really? that was definitely. Okay. Well, yeah, it's a bit okay. on the nose. So that's yeah. apparently, and that was explained away by. So Primarch was given to the Primarchs because that was just the you know, the, the ultimate leader of a battalion of troops rank. It's yeah. like, you know what I mean? Like they could have been called yeah. generals. So I didn't love that. We roll with the fluff, don't we? Yeah, um, yeah. And then to make us all vomit a little bit more, I think the fourth Legio Contagious were the Iron Lords that excelled at siege warfare. <laughs> oh God. Really? You know what I mean? Okay. Like, yeah. I yeah, really wish they didn't go that mad. Anyway, tell me about think it, happy, tell thoughts. Me about happy thoughts. Yes. Happy thoughts. So happy thoughts. as as much as I didn't like it, I'm a horribly like mercenary style soul when it comes to fluff and stuff. I'm like, no mm -hmm. worries, I'll run with it. Let's see yeah. what legions traits. So what space marine legion trait? Because apparently they're just you know follow-ons from their thunder legion trait. Um, would allow you know a merry band of these super soldiers to somehow survive, 
you know, in a hostile Imperium where they're outlawed, mm-hmm. essentially like the replicants. And obviously, if you're going to think about being dodgy and whatnot, it's going to be our good friends, um, the Alpha Legion. Yeah. Uh, so these Thunder Warriors are from the, or my my Thunder Warriors are from the the twentieth Legio Contagious. Um, and their shtick was, guess what? Subterfuge and you hey. know, clandestine action. Who would have thought? Real original stuff. Yeah. Um, but the the dream there was like the reason they didn't get absolutely decimated at the Battle of Mount Ararat is they were off doing sneaky stuff. Like their whole shtick was, you know, going mm-hmm. into an area prior to one of these big set piece battles, you know, these big artistic, awesome battles that they loved during the Unification Wars, the propaganda pieces. Mm-hmm. That'd be the guys that would go into the enemy lines and blow up all the artillery trains and stuff. So those big set piece battles wouldn't just get annihilated by, you know, off-board bombardment, if you will. Right. So during the, the I suppose, the betrayal, they were off doing that thing and they heard about it, went, oh, well, let's not go back there. Um, let's just, you know, bugger off and uh, try to sink the Imperium from within. Because like, I found a lot of the Thunder Warriors, um, like in the Veldor book, um, and like Outcast Dead and stuff, they're still super loyal to the Emperor, and they're all really understanding. And, you know, he had to do it, you know, blah, 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 blah. Um, but there's going to be dudes that aren't happy about, you know, getting stabbed in the back after, yeah. you know, blood, sweat, and tearing mm-hmm. across the planet to then, oh, too Literally, bad, so blood, sweat, and tears, yeah. Exactly, and exploding and cancering and everything. Yeah. Um, so I've just, yeah, I've moved on, well, moved with that process, so... Over the last 200 years, and again, this is when you can use tidbits of fluff. So Thunder Warriors technically shouldn't be living for 200 years due to the all the mutation issues and stuff. But mm-hmm. we now do have bits in the Black Library that show that they lived into the heresy, which would be 200 years later. So there's at least some gray area to have these surviving bros running around, I suppose. Right. You don't want it to – you don't want to – I always try to not marry Sue characters, if you know what I mean. Nothing worse than that. Yeah, Exactly. Um, so that was the basic idea behind these guys, like, you know, this small mer- band of merry men are going around just causing these like small uprisings on planets, like compliant planets. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, when Imperial repercussions come, they just get out of Dodge, cut ties and like, sorry guys, you're on your own now. Like real, real nasty sort of dudes. Um, yeah. so the current fluff of the army is, uh, they're, they're on this planet. It's called, oh God, I'm, I'm going to butcher it pretty much. And this is probably a fun or useful little tidbit that I tell my mates. When people are trying to make names for 30K and 40K and stuff, mm-hmm. people generally go, you know, just straight up Latin, yeah. uh, you know, or a cool sounding Latin name or the use of mortis or, you know, yeah, mortalis. Exactly. It's very often used. Um, I always, whenever I name characters, no matter what it is, whether it's like Warhammer Fantasy, um, 40K, 30K, if an army has a certain like um, theme behind it or background, like, you know, like I'm trying to think. For instance, like this is a bad example because we're trying to stay away from Latin, but your uh, ultramarines are all Romans, so you'd use Latin names for them and stuff. Too easy. Um, I generally try to use terribly literal translations of what the character is, but just in a different language. Nice. Um, So, like, just give me two seconds because I'm going to have to read the name off my sheet because they're like, this is all sort of like pig Latin Russian or pig. I was going to say, and what language did you translate it into? Sounds like Russian. Yeah, so it's all based off like Pig Latin Russian because I thought, you know, the Ursh and all that stuff. Um, so let me just quickly run down to like a couple of names as an yeah. example. And this is something I would suggest anyone use across any fluff. It just, it takes the, F, like the, I don't know, it, it makes it easier to name stuff if you just, and then it sounds like a cool name instead of just, you know, Mortar Mortis or something. Yeah. Um, so like the Tattered Prince, for instance, is his name Stetshok Tsesarovich. Um, and that's pretty much like Tetsok is, um, let's see, I've got, I've got the translation written down. Tetsok is essentially tattered or stitched together. 
Mm-hmm. And Tsarevich is was like the um, the heir to the throne, essentially. So then you've got like this tattered prince. Oh, look, you know, nice. easy peasy. Mm-hmm. Um, so the current planet, so that's how I name everything because I'm super lazy. Um, but the current planet they're on is called, um, so this is the, the most recent planet when the heresy hit that they're doing their little let's start a fire and then run away once it catches. Um, it's called like Vozduka Glavnea, which is just roughly air home because it's this big gas planet and there's these floating cities all around and mm-hmm. um, they're left there from an ancient Xeno species. I'll give you the link to the fluff so far if you want to have a read yeah, or for anyone please. that is, in, enjoys boring themselves to death. Um, uh, uh, yeah, my partner's just nodding at me because I try to get her to uh, read it and she's just smiling and nodding about the boring bit. So thank you, Megan. <laughs> uh, yeah, so essentially they're on these big floating floating cities in the sky um, mm-hmm. and that's why it's an airborne force. Nice. So yeah. yeah, so this is the evolution how it sort of like moves across and around and all that sort of stuff. So cool. So that's how we sort of gotten to this point of this airborne planet and mm-hmm. the, the the dodgy Russian naming, um, and of course the reason why they're there. So that's sort of, I suppose you're trying to explain why they're occurring or how yeah. this happened without it being too ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so the army's just been based off of that and rolling with that, trying to touch on as many points within the fluff that we're given or these little rules that we have to follow uh, and then jamming all the stuff you want in between it. That's cool, man. That is very cool. I love the narrative path that you took to get there, especially since you used uh, ye old Valdor to get there. That yeah, old well, the, chem. It did sort of come out of the blue and uh, really blow up all the information on Thunder Warriors, but probably in a good way, except for those really hokey, you know, the legions, the Primarchs, and they were oh. essentially forerunners to their parent legion, if you will. Like I didn't cringe at all. That was yeah, no, um... I, yeah. I think I cringed into the next room. It was that bad, but <laughs> you know, we 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 love Dub, good and bad. Yeah, um, exactly. And we just roll with those punches. And in hindsight, it actually gave a, you know, if you're willing to bend the rules a little, gave a pretty good hook to then start an army off. So yeah, it's always good like that. Well, you and I both played now. I know I played competitive 40K for a very long time. Um, you did play, I know you've played competitive wargaming as well. Um, I know that you've hard shifted into 30K, and you, yep. amongst several other of my friends, have been singing the praises of the 30K, the Warhammer 30K community for quite a while. I guess just to finish up, and um, this is. If you are joining us for Thunder Warriors and you are an established 30K player, maybe this little bit isn't for you. Uh, Maybe it is. Uh, Join us for a minute and see (laughs) if you agree with what we say. Um, So 30K is sort of the 40 is sort of like 40K historicals almost. I mean, literally, it's you're going back and you're refighting battles from the Horus Heresy. It is, you know, the outcome. So in that way, it's like historicals. But it's also, um, and most notably, and what a lot of people are surprised by, is it's actually a completely different rule set. It's almost like um, 6.5, Warhammer 40,000 edition 6.5, or is it 7? Yeah, 6.5. Six and a half, because I think they what they did is because obviously it moved to seventh when seventh did come out. Right. Um, but there was obviously a lot of weird um, stuff like yeah, what was invisibility and stuff yeah. and all that sort of bits and pieces. So yeah, it's more. I'd say it's more of a six point five. It's definitely a restructured seventh. Yeah, but you and I both enjoy balance in a rule set. Like yep. as you say, 
Um, it's great to make uh, a force that can be effective or not so effective or whatever else, but you always want to give your opponent a good game. And uh, some editions in Warhammer 40K, and one of the reasons why I walked away from the game for a number of editions, uh, me who has not played a game of Warhammer 40,000 since the opening weeks of 6th edition, <laughs> um, things got a little swingy at times um, with the meta and whatnot. But yep. what I've been really impressed with all of the reading and the listening to podcasts and to talking people about 30K um, is that it is by and large a much more balanced game than the 40k edition that the rules were initially based on. Um, it, would you agree? Uh, it's it's significantly more balanced than our sort of seventh was, um, and I, I'd say like it's a multi sort of faceted balanced, if you will. Like for one, it's probably easier to balance Space Marines versus Space Marines than Space right. Marines versus Tyranids versus Orcs versus Eldar sort of thing. <laughs> yes. Um, so. I think it's inherently easier to balance. Obviously, as more armies have been added to uh, 30K, it's probably stretched it a bit. Yeah. But I find within the community, a lot of that is then people then don't necessarily take the absolute throat-cutting lists. Yeah. Um, you know, like, oh, I could take all this and it would just be, decimate you, but there's nowhere cool. Like It's like same as bolt action. I think there's a lot of similarities between bolt action and 30K. Like Exactly where I'm going with this, yep. Oh, there you go. It's like, you know, we can all take, you know, 1,200 recce jeeps with uh, medium machine guns. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, for one, that's probably not going to be fun. Two, sure, it's thematic in a sense. Like, you know, world eaters, assault squads are really good. So if you fill the board up with a billion assault squads, you're going to smash your opponent's face and yeah. you can claim that it's thematic. You know what I mean? But, you know, it's the most blase yeah. pass it theme. Um, but yeah, so generally people curb their, curb their enthusiasm a bit when it comes to the face punching and will normally allow narrative and theme to probably flavor their lists a bit more than yeah. just number crunching. Exactly. And a lot of events are literally themed around sort of team sides and narrative objectives rather than more traditional tournament style events. Oh, definitely. Like, um, so I went up to ACT at the start of this year, and mm -hmm. that's, uh, I think it was the last ACT this year. It's run on the same weekend as CanCon in Canberra, mm -hmm. um, run by a fellow called Andrew Hollis, who does a whole heap of amazing stuff for 30K. He's I released, heard. like, um, mm -hmm. converted Eldar codexes, essentially, so they're more 30K appropriate. Necrons, I think he's working on a Rogue Trader and Orcs. Like, it's phenomenal. So you're getting Ooh. these, it's more for the Great Crusade era than mm -hmm. the, um, the Heresy, but no one bad an eyelid playing against these armies in 30K. Right. Um, but so that was a big narrative event and he would give you up, it was like 90 odd people. Um, there was battlefield, battlefleet Gothic being played, um, all the different types of 30 K and Adeptus Titanicus. So it was this huge, like 30 K Mecca. And he would give us updates between rounds and what's happening. Um, you know, th there was no tournament champion or like winner based on wins. There was yeah. painting of prizes, cool thing prizes, so there's definitely not that drive for a first, second, and third, you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And that's cool. I mean, it just means that people go to hang out and share a hobby. And that's another thing I've been really impressed with the 30K community, uh, having been recently joined Instagram, uh, amongst <laughs> other things. But uh, seriously, I mean, the the just the base level of hobby is really great. Soul crushing. Right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. well, yeah. No. Oh, some, of the, some of the painters, dear God, like... But, I mean, it has inspired me just looking at that. Um, I know that our mutual friend, Jermaine. Hi, Jermaine. Um, oh, bless him. His little cotton socks. Um, yeah. <laughs> he, we were driving back from playing games one day, and he started talking to me about how good 
30k was and i had done some gabbling and i actually have a box of forge world in my closet um from a couple years ago when i sort of abortively tried to get into it but um and just his enthusiasm talking about you know the hobby and then when i got back to my house i then of course looked up a ye old facebook group of uh 30k hobby and started looking at things, and um, that little earworm, and that was in January, the jerk, um, has been <laughs> working its way through, and uh, I pulled out a Death Guard army that I was painting literally a decade ago, um, <laughs> and I pulled it out, and I realized that if I replace the backpacks and the bolters, those are perfect Siege of Terra recently yeah, Late turned. heresy, man. Yep. Boom. I got a heresy army uh, and looking at those painted models and really sort of sort of tapping into that community has inspired me to paint a whole slew of greens that I haven't painted in a very long time. Um, and that's awesome to hear, man. I yeah, think you've it, got to enjoy the hobby. Like, yeah, right? It's, it's fun. Definitely. Like it, when you think about it with the hobby, like you spend more time building your models and painting your models than you're probably ever going to spend using them. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's so true. You got to enjoy what you're building and painting because that's probably going to be the bulk of the time. Yeah. Couldn't said that better myself. I mean, a hundred percent. And it's been, it's been really nice to revisit this army. Um, you know, it's tied to some weird memories of my life at the time, but <laughs> to, to look at this army now, um, it is, you know, it was an embarrassment at one point, and now it might be some of the best painting I've ever done in my life. And it's literally just pulled it out and started detail painting it a couple weeks ago and just gone, oh, this is fun. Um, oh. And that's, I think that's the way hobby should be. And especially given that COVID's been happening. And if you'll give me <laughs> one second here, Nick, I'm going to step on a quick soapbox. A lot of people have been talking about how it's really important during this time to get something done and to take advantage of the shutdown and everything else. And yeah, sure, that that's true. But for some of us, we've been working the whole time. And for some people, even if they haven't been, these are hard times. And so to not do something, if you have some positive mental health on top of that, that's fine. Um, surviving in a positive mental state is really important right now, guys. If you're not productive, if you do need to go sit down and play a video game or read a novel or, heaven forbid, spend time with your family, do that. <laughs> um, and then, you know, you can come back to the gaming and the hobbies later. But for me, you know, I had some hardcore hobby goals, and it was important that I had to let those go because I was starting to feel bad about not accomplishing things. And so for me, being able to sit back and actually take these models out and have some fun painting them, you know, and I'm also painting up some Jawas for Star Wars Legion, and I'm still working on my Cobra army, and I got a bunch of other things on, but I'm not feeling the grind to get things in because I don't have a deadline. There's, you know, when are we going back to normal? What, what is normal going to be after this? I don't know. Have fun. Take a break. Nick, we, are, am I... Am I soapboxing too much here what do you think no no i definitely get it like we all have an ups and downs and all arounds there's no point like flagellating yourself because you didn't get the latest space marine backpack painted like 
The point right? of hobby is to be fun, not a chore. So why would you turn it into that? Yeah, there's enough chore going on in the world right now. Oh, like, yeah. yeah. Adult life is just a constant chore. <laughs> Adulting. <laughs> <laughs> well overrated. Yes. Well, overrated adulting, I think, is usually the time where I say, I think it may be time to call it a night. Nick, it has been an absolute pleasure hanging out with you tonight. Man, I know that we hang out at Bolt Action events, but we haven't done that in a while. I think, we I think we're going to have to do, I think we're just going to have to hang out and play some 30 K and uh, I'm looking forward to facing your thunder warriors. Uh, I'm just going to have to paint more death guard, I guess. Sounds good to me, man, dude. Uh, it's going to be good. I'm hoping to get to yours in a couple weeks too. And, uh, play some Try games. Alternating activation. Oh yes. And yes, that will be mentioned on a future podcast. Absolutely. 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 Now we're talking <laughs> about sneaking some activation dice from bolt action into 30 K kids in case you're wondering, but that's a subject for another day. For another time. Yes. <laughs> uh, ladies and gentlemen, I have got to say it has been an absolute pleasure. Um, recording tonight. I know that the schedule has been for the most part weekly, but you know, sometimes the release day shifts and depending on the warlord cast and when episodes are approved and my workload, things have been slightly out of kilter. Um, I've had a few people ask what happened to the YouTube channel. I have GI Joe models ready to go. I have content ready to record. Um, my office got torn apart uh, and put back together so I could record videos for my class. Um, and I have not had time to properly reconfigure it so that I can go back to recording fun YouTube videos, not educational ones. Uh, and I'm exhausted. So uh, I'm, I'm going back to the basics and I'm just trying to put out regular weekly content on the podcast. And in a couple of weeks when I get to school holiday, we will get back to YouTube content. There is tons in the pipe. It is definitely going to happen. And I'm hoping to get some more gameplay videos up again soon. I have a Zone Mortalis board. Maybe I'll have Nick and maybe Jermaine over and we'll maybe they can play and I'll just hit record and watch and hit laugh. But there's lots of great hobby coming your way from the, the Cast Dice Podcast Network. Warlord and I have been talking about some great new ideas for episodes. Uh, and of course, beyond the first marker, the Star Wars Legion podcast, we got some great stuff in there too. Thank you for being patient. And thank you to all the people who have messaged recently to say they've enjoyed the show. It's been a little bit hard with work and everything else of late. Getting those messages has really meant the world to me. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, guys, Nick, thank you so much for coming on, brother. It's been a pleasure. Thank Thanks for having me, man. It's always good to have a chat about some hobby. Hell yes. And thank you for listening, guys. I know that podcasts don't cost money, but time's weird. Some of you have tons of it. Some of you have less. I know I've had a lot less because there's been no commuting, so I don't have any time to listen to podcasts. The, the fact that you took the time to listen to this podcast today means the world. Thank you so much. And uh, as our buddy Casey would say, when you're playing the games that we are playing now, I hope your dice roll hot. I hope your beverages are cold. But more than anything else, we at Cast Dice hope that you are having fun. Good night.
Are gone and they track my home.